Hi, hi, hi! It is me, Sloan, and we're back with a new episode of the Free Money Podcast. I am so excited to share it with you. Just after the jump, we'll go into a little bit of an update on the news and what's going on around the world. Then we have one of our signature brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guests, my friend Lars Croyer, who was a hedge fund manager for a long time, quit during the financial crisis, wrote some great books about it, and then got mixed up in the carbon offset market. So we're going to talk to him about sort of how he wound up doing that, I guess with the peculiar twist of fate, um, what it means that the regulatory price of carbon has approached and crossed $100 a pound, or $100 a ton, excuse me, um, and then why he's really excited about the voluntary offset market, by contrast. More importantly than that, perhaps, we all talk about why it makes us sick to our stomachs when people announce that they're going net zero by 2050. Come on, that is a long, long time from now. It's all on the other side of the jump, so stick it around and take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the disclosure pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Artel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof. Long game and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> dollar, dollar. Welcome to the Freeway Podcast, where we bring you the Brooklyn Bay Area connection about institutional investing that you desperately crave. And you know what? We're back. We're back. And uh, after three months, you still remember the intro. Good job. <laughs> I think I messed it up only a little bit, only a little bit. I, I got my, hopefully my screwing things up out of the way by barely remembering how to start the podcast platform before we got on. So, but we, our whole shtick is not knowing how to work our own technology. That's a great point. You know point. I mean, I think somebody's like, ah, somebody just had a little warm blanket of tech <laughs> technological ignorance. <laughs> great build with them. I, I guess it's like watching NASCAR. Like, no one admits that they're watching it for the crashes, but True. they're all like, "Yeah, I'm in it for the gardening tips at the end." A lot of people, uh, a lot of know. people make it to those end moments just so they can figure out what to plant. Stay tuned, where <laughs> yes, yeah. to, to this episode in which I tell you about what to plant in March. Oh shit! But like, before we do that, we traditionally do the news, and nothing. Well, before the news, before the news. Oh um, gosh. Because the news has to be related. Do you ever get the sense that we started this podcast just in time to comment on the end of the world? <laughs> because, and this is yeah, no yeah. joking matter, Yeah, this happens to be a day that will live in infamy. And yeah. Russia invaded Ukraine this morning. Like the real invasion of tanks and bombs. and In 12 places. It's like shocking the... to be sitting here thinking this is going on. Yeah, it really, it's definitely, it's we're challenging this post-World War II order in Europe. This like unthinkable line has been crossed and like, oh gosh, it just, I'm sad. I'm sad too. I, I mean, I, I'm sad on like a couple of fronts. Obviously, yeah. like, war in Europe, 70 <laughs> years on, like super scary. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, one of the projects I worked on probably about a decade ago was this Russian direct investment fund. Mm. And the idea was to like help institutional investors go and deploy capital into Russia. Yep. And in that process, like I met a bunch of these Russians and the guy that ran it is a guy named Kirill Dmitriev. I think he still runs it. He's a Stanford grad. He did his undergrad and MBA at Stanford. And okay. one you know, day where I sat with him around a table for two and a half hours. And, uh, and so it's just such a weird thought to be that like, 
these people are now prosecuting a war. It's hard to wrap my head around that. I'm not saying that guy, Kirill, is carrying guns in Ukraine right now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like I, I was hanging out in the Treasury Department and then you know, this bank in the Ottoman Empire and I happened to meet Saddam Hussein 25 years later. God knows. I, yeah. But I'm bummed. But it, it's crazy that somebody who is like a friendly contact that you have warm interpersonal memories of could be yeah. on the other side of this rapidly re-rising Iron Curtain. Who was it? Somebody said there's like a classic McDonald's thing where they, uh, you know what? The, this is the part of the show where we reveal we never do research. But there's a classic story that some human being said that two countries with McDonald's well, no. oh, Tom Friedman. Yeah. Boom. This is why we partner with each other. <laughs> You're the yig to my, I don't know. What is the other thing? Just joke. Yeah. I'm a scholar of, of neoliberalism to your. <laughs> yeah. End of history. Yeah. But by the way, Thomas Friedman was never wrong. The earth is flat. <laughs> of course. Anyway, th these two countries have McDonald's and they're invading each other. And, uh, and that was my point in like, a country that was establishing a sovereign development fund to attract foreign capital into their country, to me, was one in which I expected there would be very little chance of a conflict breakout, just because that means you're building bridges. You're trying to bring foreign capital in. You're trying to build the economy with New York private equity. Literally, like Josh Lerner was an advisor to the RDIF. Yeah. Like, I guess it's funny. It's always governance that gets you at the end of the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. Uh, <laughs> and if the governance really disagrees with the mission of the, of the investment fund. Oh, my goodness. All right. So yeah. the news, aside the, from the, the first war in Europe in 70 years and, and our uh, ex-president calling Putin a genius. Which I mean, oh, yeah. And oh, by the way, it's illegal to tell people trans people exist in Texas. now. I feel like well, that deserves it longer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like to get the good. It's a good news week to be back on the podcast. Yeah, we have a tendency of calling it. We have good news and then giving a bunch of bad news. That's the other thing that we tend to do. Uh, yeah, uh, but this is not bad news. Then my first news, Sloan, my mm -hmm. my news is that CalPERS <laughs> has a chief investment officer. And she is a friend of the show. Wow. Yep. The second I, I laid eyes on her, I knew she was a friend of the show. Oh, yeah. We'll get her on. We're going to twist her arm. We'll get her on the Free Money Podcast before you know it. I already sent her a, an email that said, yo, in caps, all caps and exclamation as the subject line. And then the body was like, good job. I can't wait to see you. And with five eyes. Can't wait to see you. Signaling behavior in the investment marketplace really at work here. No, but she's amazing. So we met, I don't know, maybe a decade ago with this Institutional Investors Roundtable when she was running one of the private equity teams at Teachers. And then from there, she moved on to running public equities. And some of us thought she was um, in line to become the CIO of Teachers. She ended up leaving and going to a quick little moment at IMCO, which was the new Ontario Investment Management Corp before being pulled off to private equity land. And of course, you can't stay there in the private equity land. Those are the bad guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just have to go become the biggest client of the private equity industry. I think she needed to just take a break to go see what the other side of the table is about, really go native, and then she'll be able to come into the CalPERS seat and really hold them accountable. The good news is Ontario Teachers was one of those first plants to use leverage at the total portfolio level, which CalPERS has just been approved to do. And so I think Nicole is actually a fabulous choice for a number of reasons. First of all, highly sophisticated investment acumen from the asset owner level. For those of you that don't know Ontario Teachers, it is one yes. of the best pension plans on earth. It invented the Canadian model. Yep. And, uh, and so she was there and did that. And now she can like... She'll have all the capabilities to use leverage to boost returns or reduce risk or whatever they do. So anyway, great news all around. I mean, like, yeah, and I, I would say it's also really just great in that she had took the job. Yeah, she said yes. That yeah. yeah. No, I, I know. Think that was Some... the, the uniform, everyone has positive things to say about her. Everyone also has just a tremendous amount of relief to share about the fact that they actually identified someone to run yes. this incredibly crucial public place. Oh, it's interesting you say that. I was interviewed by Bloomberg News about her appointment. 
the Bloomberg News telephoned me to get my comment on. And my comment, although I will note that my quote did not end up in the article, as far as I can hey, tell. <laughs> but I can tell you that I said, it's been an 18-month process. But if they had appointed Nicole after two months, I would have been like, oh, that's amazing. Like, that's how good she is. She's the yeah. kind of candidate that you're like, was she there all along? Like she would have been my one of the top picks all along, given her experience. And so the fact that it yeah. took 18 months is not a reflection of not being able to find the right candidate. It was actually just she probably wasn't in a place in her career that she wanted to do it 18 months ago. Yeah. She had to go native in the private equity land and realize that it was disastrous. I'm putting words in her mouth. She never said any of this, but that's why people come on the show. So you could be like, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. yeah. This what is the, people the don't really realize is the connections thing. we have through our FNON network are That's true. astoundingly yeah. deep and sometimes verified. And so you guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And however much ver however verifiable they are, they're actually much more formidable than that. This news item is taking too long for me to get my other news item. Oh yeah, you gotta get give me more news. Get okay, more news. let me give you a couple of quick hits. One. After my entire life career trying to get the SEC to push transparency <laughs> on, on, he on hedge funds and private equity, <laughs> we're going to get it. We're going to get transparency. They are going to force a private equity hedge funds and maybe a few others to, are you waiting for this? Provide quarterly statements with performance oh, fees and expenses. And everybody in the crowd is saying, what? Yeah, I, mean, I really, I, I, I like had this wonderful experience where I, I saw that happened, and we were on some email threads about it. And That's right. I was like talking to Claire, and I was like, "This is a sea change in the markets." And she's like, telling me they're going to give me statements. Yeah, exactly. That's, this, this is what you people are excited about. <laughs> For those that don't know, they just don't know. They just don't. Yeah, it's <laughs> been insane to get this data out of these organizations and get it in a format that's standardized, and so. If we get one freaking outcome from here, it's hopefully a standardized format of reporting. Next bit of news in the domain of new sovereign funds. Oh, there's a great fun new name out there. The ICF is going to be launched. And the ICF, any guesses? Institute for Climate Finance or no? Uh, I like where your head is at. Carbon Foundry? Israel Citizens Fund. Uh, yes, yes. I was really and that was not an attempt at an Israeli accent. I don't know yeah, what yeah. that was, to be honest. I yeah. Don't I, read I, into I, it. The, um, yeah, but... they are already getting grief, though. There's people that it literally hasn't launched, and people are crabbing about this fund because it is being pulled out of the gas. They have gas reserves uh... out in the Mediterranean there, and and so that's the, the source of the wealth. And people are like, gas is bad. Does climate change, I hear. And then speaking of climate change, I'm going to move quickly on to my next one, which is, oh, I forgot that I needed to speak really quick every once in a while so people slow down their podcasts. Oh, that's one. a good point. That's, you know that's I mean? a really good point. That, yeah, yeah, we yeah, learned so. that at the in the year-end close, that every once in a while we're going to talk really fast so that people slow down the podcast. Yeah, don't use algorithms on it. I forgot how fun I have on this. I was, okay. I could have joy. Yeah, enjoy <laughs> war in Europe and anyway. Uh, net zero commitments are happening at a fast pace, and we're starting to see some of the outcomes of that. And in the past couple of weeks, we've seen Harvard announce that 1% of their portfolio is in climate solutions. Yeah, hit me. What do you think? That's like, that feels good. I think that's what people should do. Uh, I think that uh, means $500 million of Harvard's endowment are in solutions to climate change. Right? Yeah, I, I really have been having a hard time since I saw that freezing, identifying what I think is a solution to climate Yes. You know what Big. I mean? Because it's what the hell? Like, <laughs> a cozy know? chair could be a solution to climate change because you don't want to get out of it. Exactly. Like a robe. The ultimate yeah. robe so you don't get out of bed. But we joke, but I would say insulating your house is a really good climate yeah. change solution. Like, and Net zero so, residential real estate. That's the thing we all should be pursuing. Do we get to claim that we're like, how, who decides and what's, what is good here? You know, what is good? And, and the other thing, before we get to what is good, which sounds like I'm singing a Faith No More song, what is good? <laughs> anyway, those that know will know. Um, <laughs> the IFM 
also is industry funds management in Australia also published their commitment plan to get to net zero, their climate action plan, their cap, cap which cap, sounds cap. too much like a Republican conference going on right now, but the climate action plan. And in none of these things have I seen any talk of offsets, which seems strange to me because I feel like the voluntary offset industry is booming. And yeah. I think if we could just explain to these organizations how to offset, what the frick offsets are, they could get to net zero faster. That was my news. And maybe it mm. links to the guest, or maybe it doesn't. It could link to the guest. I mean, like, I, I think that people out here who uh, were rooting for us to have some technology problems are going to have a pretty great surprise. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't see our guest in the waiting room yet. And we'll see. Hopefully he gets here <laughs> fantastic it's not a true free money podcast if you don't feel like we're doing it live yeah yeah exactly i think that i it took me a while to throw the script out the window like 10 maybe 15 minutes and come on yeah know, what what was i doing making a script in the first place yeah, um, yeah there's no script in this thing but with, with this broader question, like we have had a bunch of changes in the regulatory environment around sustainable investing, right? There's some noise that's suggesting that the EU is going to define, quote unquote, sustainable, yeah. like Paris Align. So the, and they actually, they released a tool to help people do it. As a masochist, I promptly began uploading my portfolio into this tool and found that none of my holdings were on there at all because they didn't. They weren't intensive carbon emitters. Interesting. So like in a context where the, this tool and this framework has been created for a context where people are still stuck in the old way of investing, <laughs> they're still stuck owning tons and tons of emitters, tons and tons of tons of other stuff. It's, easy, it, it's like still the norm. Yeah, I know. Exactly what you're saying. It's interesting to hear that tool exists because part of, I think the, the thing I was going to make a joke about the IFM announcement, and it is an interesting climate action plan. Everybody should read it. But the first part of the plan is measure the carbon intensity of your portfolio. Yes. Which feels like the first part to solving this problem is the, by the way, the hardest part. Like it's going to be pretty, hard to get the entire thing measured. And what are we talking about when we say measure? Are we just talking about carbon emission? Are we talking about risk of physical climate risk? Are we talking about transition risk? Like, I think part of the challenge here is like defining the standards for measurement. And then once we have the measurement, yeah, there's an action plan. I think a lot of us have in our minds on how we might mobilize that information to drop yeah. new portfolios which may or may not include offsetting. But yeah, so it was a funny thing to be like, hey, first up, measure all the risks you have, which is actually, that's the hard part. Yeah, exactly. It's like, the and measure it in a context where, you know, like I know that the reason that this is in the zeitgeist is because a couple of large fund managers are just like slapping the label sustainable on all kinds of crap. And by sustainable, they mean we own slightly less oil and gas than we used to. But it, it's like an interesting kind of, industry attribute that those the behavior of those people winds up setting the tenor of the conversation for the entire sector exactly and it's oh crap can i not say it a uh, paris aligned right now i've never the thought of being not paris paris aligned has never crossed my mind but i don't you can't can you it's devastating it's devastating i, I would have figured because you're not using animal products and animal products are like a huge consumer of stuff you'd be good but apparently that's not true I think that until further notice, I'm terrible. Uh, I think this is a measurement issue. I actually think if you built it, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Like a vegan portfolio should be like low carbon emitting unless it is very low carbon emitting. But like what you look at the way that these scoring systems are set up to kind of read stuff, it's just like the whole... All that's in the database are exceptions yeah, and like negative points that you can get. So you map your QCIPs to your ICIP to like ISIN identifiers, and then you upload them into this thing. And if you're on, it's built so that they can give you the naughty list. And then if you're like DWS, you can be like, oh crap, maybe we shouldn't be. But what should we do? Do you want to just skip into building stuff is, is hard? And we could do is, uh, we could slot yeah. it in later if you want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that hints. I, Chatted with him earlier this week, and he said his knee was really bothering him. Yeah, 
He's one of those people that talks out of his knee, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good stored knee shouldn't prevent you from talking to us, but I wouldn't think not. But you know, he's from the Denver or from Denmark. And they're Oh, that, that you make that mistake. That'll prevent you from talking to us. I mean, I, I feel what are you Dutch? Uh, I think I've confused the Dutch and the, and the Netherlands like 17 times. Yes. Um, so hard thing. But, but aside, so yeah, like hard thing. Aside from guests not showing up on time because their knee hurts, here's my hard thing. And I am building a few new things from scratch, one of which is my new research initiative at Stanford University, which is the Stanford Research Initiative on Long-Term Investing, which has a new website that's long-term investing.stanford.edu. And legit. That, that's a full legit website. I mean, that's a good website. Yeah. As far as the URLs go in the world, that's a good one. Longtermainvesting.stanford.edu. But here's the thing that's hard about that. When you start new things, or at least when I start new things like I just did, there aren't like a ton of people ready to jump in and help you build the website. <laughs> and so I built this whole freaking website myself. I now have skills in Drupal, which I believe is a web design program from 1984. Drupal? <laughs> is that how it's pronounced? I did. <laughs> yes. Wow. So I learned Drupal and I created a web presence for my new research initiative. And that felt very hard and a really bad use of my time. To be honest. Wait, so what is this website? It's Stanford Long-Term Investing Initiative.com. No, you're screwing it up. You're gonna people are going to the wrong place. Long-term investing.stanford.edu. Are you like Googling it, live Googling it or whatever? Right now? Yeah. Stanford Research Initiative on Long-Term Investing. We're slutty. SLT. Oh, like it's slutty? Salty. <laughs> SLTI. <laughs> Jesus. Slutty? Okay. Certainly, this this is very slick, Ash. Like you know, yeah. you got the got a picture of what I could I suspect is Stanford. No, that is a photo of the university. Correct. Yeah, that was approved. <laughs> that was a an approved item on there. Yeah, this is this is very loads fast. It's got many pictures of Stanford on it. If you look, at, if you click on the people tab, you will note there are people involved. Oh yeah! Wow, that's that's many people. Yes, no, six people are already involved and more will be yeah. coming. That's very cool. This is exciting. This is the realest website you've had for this in a long time. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, if we're going to do this, we oh, hey, oh, ah, what was that? All right. Hey, hey, hey how's it going, Lars? Hey, hey, how are you? I'm so sorry to be a couple of minutes late. I, as per normal, I screwed up the time and I'm in Austin. I take issues. Isn't that the paradox? But, You're all right. We thought, we thought any number of things could have happened, but we're pumped to have you to talk about a bunch of stuff. No, thanks. In particular, I want to talk about carbon yeah. offsets. But honestly, <laughs> when I was reading your bio when you were coming on, I've, I'm like, these are like great books. And the guy was a hedge fund manager. Like the, I, your background is astounding. You have a whole long Wikipedia page. Dude, you should call my mom. I'm going to call her up. Yeah. Get rid of, like, good job raising a child that went after the hedge fund industry. It's awesome. No, well, I don't know. I should, I, like, I don't want to overdo. I'm still on the board of a bunch of. Oh, okay. Not, Sorry. Yeah. I'm not trying to I'm get you in trouble, Lars. Quite. No, don't worry. It's, it takes more than that. But yeah, keep trying. You'll, you'll get me some of those funds. <laughs> Some yeah, of these funds, which exactly. are the good guys. They're all, they're all, God, now I sound like Putin, right? They're all liars and cheaters. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, like, maybe, like, a good place to start is, like, how the hell did you come to be mixed up in the carbon offset? Yeah, that's easy. I'll tell you, actually, that's quite interesting, and I think something that's not known enough about the space. So after my whole hedge fund career, I decided to get involved, and it sounds so grandiose that I could hate saying it, but I wanted to get involved with poverty eradication. So basically used my skills and network and all of that to get more money to the poorest parts of the world. And and I wasn't wealthy enough to be to try to beat Bill Gates and start a, a, that meaningful foundation. And so I thought um, we'd do that. And so did a bunch of years where we did work for World Bank, IFC, United Nations, folks like that. 
And it essentially became a series of like technology solutions for development organizations as a charitable, but we were being paid. Now, so it was, as, as a lot of people will tell you that's involved with development, it's incredibly frustrating, incredibly slow moving, very little innovation, a lot of very smart, well-meaning people, but it's almost like the, it's almost like the system, whatever that means, gets in the way. It's almost Kafka-esque. Mm -hmm. And so through that, we started looking a little bit at carbon slightly randomly. And one of the things that makes carbon offsetting super interesting, actually, is that about 80% of the world's projects, so there's probably 17,000 projects, of which maybe 8,000 8, are real and active. And about 80% of these are in the developing world. So if you go to some of the world's desperately poor countries like Burkina Faso and Mali, and by the way, try to pin, even find them on a map, right, for most people. But like these guys actually have voluntary carbon projects on. We can go through this. It's, it's essentially an export good right? Right. because people like the three of us buy these credits to offset their carbon emissions. So if you're like I don't know, Starbucks in Manhattan, and you want to tell your customers that you're carbon neutral, but you still need trucks to deliver your goods, you can only get, and you should do all to reduce your emissions, but you can only get so low. And at that point, you can offset. Now, where do you buy these offsets? You can buy offsets from a project that's located in Burkina Faso. And for all the faults of, the, of, of that sector, that does mean that there's a company in Manhattan buying something from a project in one of the world's poorest countries. That never happened. <laughs> And I love right? that. So to me, that's actually like, what a way that you somehow in some sort of a screwed up indirect, lots of people in the middle taking too much money, blah, blah, blah. You're sending money to Burkina Faso. Yeah. And you're incentivizing more people to set up projects in a place like that. And so when we would go to the United Nations, say, do you even know that there are 35 voluntary carbon projects in Mali or Niger or places like that, they wouldn't even know. So anyhow, so that's how we got involved originally. And then sure enough, it turns out that no one had mapped the space. And so one of the reasons that it was such a big difference between what the folks on the ground were getting and what Starbucks is paying is there was no rhyme or reason and no quality checks. And the brokers that were in the middle were charging massive spreads without making a lot of money because it was just very expensive. All right, so anyhow. That's, that's how I got it all. It's a long-winded answer. Sort of. I mean, it sounds like a, some nice trouble to be getting into. The Now, one of the stories that I see all the time is that the actual price of carbon, like the traded commodity, is headed towards 100 bucks a ton. Now, like in the context of a carbon offset, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. So if you, it's actually a great thing, and I'd actually encourage anyone to Google that. Because everyone's like, isn't that a gas or isn't that something that floats in the air? Like, how can it be a ton? <laughs> yeah. Right, so, so start with that. And then the next thing is like, the way to think about it, I think is, so just ignore that for a second. But you take a ton of carbon, you you go pollute, and you drive your car or whatnot. And now you got to suck that pollution out of the air somehow. You somehow got to undo the damage. And there are many ways you can do that. And... Once you get more and more into it, people will argue to the end of the world over, is this method better than that method? This method is great, but it only keeps the carbon sequestered for 10 years, right? And then others say, oh, you should only do these like Icelandic rocks that we then bury deep into the ground. And others say, you can plant some trees and that's good enough. So there's a lot of issues around all of that that I think we should perhaps ignore. But think of it this way. If you plant a tree, that sucks carbon out of the air. Now, I don't think anyone would argue that point, but it's also true that the tree dies that releases that mm -hmm. carbon, right? So it's a temporary, it's like temporary solution, but maybe temporary for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Or if the trees burn down, it releases the carbon, right? So... There are lots of issues around that. Now, when you go back to your hundred dollars, this is where I think it the volunteer space actually potentially could be hugely interesting. So if you so, so let's say the three of us bought a plot of land, we bought a football pitch, mm -hmm. and we planted a bunch of trees. And now we the way it works is we could do that and then we go to what's called a registry. Think of them as like an auditor. And we go to that registry and we say, Mr. Registry, 
we bought this plot of land and planted these trees, and we would like to get carbon credits for that. And then the registry does a whole series of things, like a long report of who we are, what we did, which methodology, which trees, this and that, for that for which we pay. By the way, these are very large football pitches. Okay. Um, but essentially, then we the, the registry will say, okay, guys, you have, let's say, 100 tons of carbon for each of the next 10 years. Let's say they did set that. So now, in the name of this registry, we can sell those carbon credits. Okay. And if the methodology is right, and the, let's just say everything is right, so we actually have sucked a ton of carbon out of the air like we said we would, we can then go and say from the perspective of the environment, how much did that cost us to do that? We had to plant the trees, we had to buy the land, we had to go through this registration process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we do know that out there, someone is paying $100. To give you an idea, in the voluntary space, you can get what's considered extremely high-quality credits for 10 or $15. Hmm. So hmm. let's just say we can go to parts of the world where land isn't so expensive and plant trees, which isn't so expensive, and suck an awful lot of carbon out of the air. And we can do that and still return money on capital <laughs> at a price of $15 a ton. Doesn't it, from a global perspective, make sense to do an awful lot of that? Yeah. Instead of paying Delta Airlines, forcing them to pay $100 to reduce their emissions, which is perhaps you can say indirectly, that's the marginal cost for them to reduce their emissions. That's the whole idea of the I would say, sure, they should reduce emissions all they can, but at some point it becomes uneconomical for them. At some point you can say, well, you could also just stop being a company. Yeah. I stop fucking flying. Yeah. And you'll not admit, but that's not practical. So what I'm saying, we can go to places like Bangladesh or Kazakhstan, or maybe land in Ukraine will be cheaper now, but and plant an awful lot of fucking trees. Yeah. And we can do that and have a return on capital to whoever puts up that money and essentially price a ton of carbon, let's call it 15 bucks. Plus, by the way, we're doing development. We're sending money to Ghana and Namibia and Bolivia and anyway. So that's why I like the space because I think it has a lot of positives. It's growing like gangbusters. No one was aggregating the data. We could, people are now starting to buy the data. So we're not even yeah, losing money anymore. So anyway. I love it. And I really want to dig in to the like verification of this stuff. I can understand like in the case of Delta, like reducing the emissions. I can see what your emissions were last year. I can see the reduction and I can give you an effect credit yeah. for that reduction. Makes me think about something we were talking about earlier, Sloan, where like having a cozy bed, if I buy a cozy bed, I don't get out of bed in the morning, which means I don't go admit, shouldn't I get credit for a cozy bed? Because then I'm not driving my car. I slept in and miss work. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to think of alternative yeah. solutions here. Um, but in the case of the nature-based offset programs, where we're actually not reducing against the baseline, we're pulling carbon out of the air. To me, it sounds very hard to verify that these are being actually completed. Like, what have you seen as yeah. like ways in which what we would think of as absurdities or frankly methods to yeah. go and verify that these things are being built? Yeah, this is where it gets very technical sometimes. So what happens is each registry will have a series of methods and sub-methods. Right. It's a symbol example because you, um, you can conceptualize like a, a football pitch and planting some trees, but what trees and how fast did they right. grow? And how do you actually reserve for the probability that some of these things that do burn down and some of those, there's like a pest of the trees or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of measurement issues. There's also, I think, actually that the biggest historic problem with this was that the concept of additionality, and that some people struggle with it, but the whole point is, would it had, would this have happened otherwise? So let's say we would have planted those trees anyhow, and because whatever, we like trees, and then we shouldn't get carbon credits for it because it's like, essentially, you're not paying for something that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And... And that's something uh, that, that, that happens a lot in the space is that some will create a renewable project and then they'll say, look at us, we sucked a bunch of, we avoided a bunch of carbon emissions, we should be paid for that. And, and the reason they like it is because they're absolutely right. They avoided a bunch of 
carbon emissions, but they also made a great return on capital. So they would have done that, put those windmills up anyhow. Mm. So that should not qualify as a carbon project. And historically, the main registry was something called CDM, which is, think of it as a UN registry. And there were a lot of projects in the old days where, imagine you have some sort of a new, I'm being very unfair, but imagine the local UN guy gets to issue a bunch of credits and lo and behold, all these uh, cousins and best mates were issued a bunch of project credits that the rest of the world said, that's just bullshit, right? And so it discredited the whole space because no one believed that these credits were real. They didn't, either they would have happened anyhow, or we said that there was a forest and lo and behold, so now there's a parking lot. It, all of that stuff meant that people looked at this and said, it's all a fraud, right? So I think a huge positive development has been that these registries are now independent organizations and they live and die with the ability to verify what they do and how they do it. And is it a parking lot? Whereas in the old days, this CDM, which is what it was called, was like Starbucks couldn't in good faith buy these mm -hmm. credits and say, we are actually causing uh, carbon sucked out of the air. Because someone who went and checked could easily embarrass Starbucks and say, we're not, because you paid money and you paid not very much money and there's a parking so you actually want there to be someone can go all the way through down to the project level and actually do all the work and scientists do all the time and say, did that ton of carbon actually get sucked out of the air? And if not, Starbucks shouldn't pay for it. And Starbucks should certainly not claim that they're carbon neutral, which they make the claim on the basis of these credits. And I actually think that's where the industry needs to go is that big brands, so keep in mind, these are not like, it's a, these are like Microsoft is a big buyer, right? And then you have, and not to get technical, but there's something, let's think of airlines uh, buy something that's called Corsia. But there are people whose full-time job it is, is to check that these projects are actually doing what they say they're doing. And the credibility of these corporates rely on that mm. to be true. And I actually think that is the best check. Because let's say if you guys went to your local Starbucks and you said, we shouldn't actually give them credit because they're not doing <laughs> so we should do something. Yeah, stop saying Starbucks. And, and we said, I go to you, Mr. Cabanero, on the corner instead of you know, whatever, Joe and the Jews on the next corner because you're carbon neutral. Now, if I read somewhere that you're not actually because this project you bought, you bought them super cheap and they're shit credits, mm. that's a huge embarrassment for you. And I think it's actually a positive that that can happen. It, it sounds like the that, space is really hitting. I guess you could think about it as like a problem of market design interfering, like inter intersecting with a problem of political will, right? Where if we were, you know, just sitting around trying to scheme about ways to get more subsidy to quote unquote green projects, whatever that is, we might decide mm -hmm. that it's a great idea to let projects with approved characteristics get these carbon credits, but from your standpoint, it seems like the the type of market design that you're talking about, where it's reputationally based, where it's not necessarily driven by a regulatory framework, it's just driven by uh, a desire to do better, is really hurt by the that kind of broad, let's get these these quote unquote good guys extra money type of approach. Is that the a, a okay characterization of, of how you've experienced yeah, the space? I think, I think it's, it's an evolving process. You know, space and just to put it in perspective, it's about a billion dollars globally a year, which in the grand that's scheme of things is rounding. I was just gonna yeah, say, so that's yeah. like a wow, that's, that's, that's a third tier a... cryptocurrency, exactly. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like a token created this month. It's a, right? a, mon a mon non fungible monkey algorithm. There are monkey exactly. algorithms that are worth more than that. Yeah, that the entire, and let's just not forget, entire space in the world. And the world where we live. So, yeah. Should we just give up? Should we just shut it and, down and just go to bars? Jesus. But, it, really. but it's also the case that as this, and, and, and by the way, that's up like 5X, right? So that's 5X bigger than it was five years ago. And so the key thing is this is 
a completely irrelevant thing unless it grows 50x, mm. right? And if it grows 50x, you will very quickly start saying, we actually suck carbon out of the air, the equivalent to the Eastern Sea, and it'll start being real. Yeah. Whereas right now it's like, we suck carbon out of the air, equivalent to Volvos in Spain on a Thursday. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's not actually that. No. <laughs> and so we want to get to where we say it's X percent of the world's global emissions, because then it's really a part of the solution. With that, shouldn't we be just so, giving everybody that reduces against a baseline? Like you were saying, hey, only if it wasn't going to happen, should we give you credit? Why not give all these people credit for now? And then down the road, we can squeeze yeah, it. I think, I, think you know? I think it's a huge issue of measurement okay. and accountability. And But I actually think you're right. In a sense, you should say, how do you right now price that? So ignore stuff right. for a second. I, I think ultimately we're all going to end up that you need a carbon tax. Like, so the world needs carbon yeah. taxes, no doubt. And if you import polluting goods, there should be a tariff. Yeah. Right? If the Chinese make a car and it's 10 times as polluting uh, to the world as the one you made here, that's not fair yeah. because, you know, that's an import of pollution. So we need a carbon tax in my mind, absolutely no doubt. And it needs to be set such that it's measurable, implementable. Though, like anything, there'll be cheaters, but... Yeah, yeah, of course. Right? All this crap about, I can't, I mean, one thing I can't bear is like when someone stands up and says, we committed to being carbon neutral by 2050. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I don't know who you're talking dude, about. Dude, you'll be dead. You're like fucking dead. What are you yeah. doing? Hey guys, why don't we agree right now? I'm going to be carbon neutral by 2050. So that, that yeah. Now you should say, Lars, you're an upstanding citizen. Well, yeah, I mean, we love you and buy your property. You're yeah. so brave, Lars. Like, what the fuck does that even say? <laughs> Lars, I'm really impressed that you're going to get there yeah, in the right? next 28 years. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like with only your own carbon offset platform to help you get there, too. So, no, but so I think it's a bit like when politicians stand up and they talk about their great initiative that over the next 10 years is going to do X, and we all go, yay. <laughs> I know. How much actually gets done? So at least for all its faults, like I can't influence politics in well, probably in any country, but certainly not in the United States. And I'm not sure I'd want to either, but I can make it easier for people around the world to invest and create these projects. And that's fucking something. Yeah. Just to put it in. And, the... and, and that's pretty fun. That is fun. By the way, just to put it in context for the listeners, the Climate Policy Initiative has gone around and aggregated the amount of investment we as a species need to do in order to have the lowest potential climate effects. And that number is three to four trillion with a T per year. And every year it gets delayed. It gets, it's like when that's to your point of saying, I commit to 2050 net zero. It's fuck you, dude. Get it in the ground today. Do it today. Yeah. But I think the only, again, if you had a thing where you take it like, okay, so what does it cost to keep your house in terms of pollution? And if there's no tax at many places in the world where it's just cheaper to burn a bunch of coal, yeah. burn a bunch of oil, a pretty bloody efficient way to do it. So how do you A, incentivize the world to not do that? And B, how do you promote innovation of clean technology? So you got to somehow tax the expenses, yeah. polluting expenses. When we, when we, we studied, we all talk about crypto, right? Think of it. So we're actually creating an initiative. We'll launch the site in oh, famous last words, we call it six weeks <laughs> where you mm. can, you can go in and, um, put in your Bitcoin wallet. We then <laughs> say how much have your Bitcoin wallet cost of CO2 emission with a bunch of, bunch of click crews of how we calculate that. And then we say, okay, so you bit, I don't even know who you are, but you, Mr. Bitcoin wallet, you can now offset your wallet and we will attest that your wallet is carbon neutral. It's awesome. That site is going to be up and running and we're hoping April one for us to see, but something like that. So we had, it's all working. Yeah. Way. If you go to cryptooffsets.com, there's literally a site which is actually 
don't go there because it's not fully ready, but it's, we have the projects, we have the Stripe accounts, we have the APIs to bring in, we have the calculations, all of that. But again, it's a little something, right? That's something. Yeah. And, and it's today, like literally, if you guys have a crypto wallet, um, you can make it carbon neutral April 2nd. And if you're serious about wanting to do that, then you can. And then not only that, what that, the extension of that is you can now say, I actually will accept Bitcoin, but only from neutral wallets. Mm. So if you're Tesla and you say, I can't accept Bitcoin because I look like a schmuck, mm. you say, I will accept Bitcoin, but only if these guys have a test that that wallet is carbon neutral hmm. at the time of the transaction. And I keep going back to the gap that you spoke to about like between 15 bucks to get the project up and running versus a hundred bucks is like the regulatory cost of this thing. And so that to me, we could talk about the parking lot versus freshly planted a grove of trees problem, but it seems like there's a margin of safety there, right? Where you could, you could at the very least, you know, do it six times and have a reasonable chance that you got one. It, it, I don't know if that's crazy or not to think of it that way, but I'm guessing that maybe a little less than fully constructive about us monetizing our gardens or uh, carbon offset. Your garden, you'd probably have there anyhow. That comes back to that additionality. I mean, not, not now that I know that there's a great market for carbon offset. Lars, I don't know if you're that, familiar with, I know you said you DeFi. Are you familiar with DeOff, which is decentralized offsetting? And... <laughs> This is a, a program that Free Money listeners are just clamoring for, which we've invented. And EOF is about getting paid for planting lovely trees in your backyard through an offsetting program. What do you think? Are you sure? No, I'm totally making it up. That's me. No, you're not sure. <laughs> I mean, it sounds legit. Get, sounds legit. As you laugh. What? No, dude, dude, dude. Sorry, you laugh, but the shit. <laughs> <laughs> This. But I would love for something and like anybody for one of like I, I love in a sense you should. It's a lot less than you think. Yeah. But and trees are expensive and property is probably expensive yeah. where you live, at least California. relative to Burkina Faso, I can guarantee. Yeah. You. Yeah. And it's but I think it I don't want to dismiss any of these things because I think it's through that process of trying a bunch of shit out, something yeah. works. Right. And and it's creating the all the failures and all someone, I, I, I hope some people get stinking rich, mm. like doing offsetting because then other people will try. I hope there's an Elon mm. Musk of offsetting and that have a trillion Twitter followers and say, guess what? I have just like, I don't know, planted the trees all over Bolivia. Yeah. Or I have <laughs> found a better way to suck the direct air carbon. Here's a great example. It's methane is mm -hmm. think of it as. It's not, but it's think of it as a, you can convert it to carbon mm -hmm. now. So you go to your local trash site and it bloody oozes methane mm -hmm. in some parts of the world more so than others because of heat and temperature and water's actually in there, et cetera. Okay. So now let's say I tell you, okay, for a million dollars, I can put a tent over that captures the methane and I can dispose of the methane in a way that either industrial processes or you know, let's just say I can capture the methane and make it go away instead of into the atmosphere. And I can't do that unless I put this massive tent over again, big tent. But, um, okay. So now I do that and, and I clearly caused a lot of pollution to not happen. And I can sell that as credits and therefore pay for that tent. And so you think, yeah, let's do it. Right. So why doesn't that happen? First of all, it, it. To do that, you need some money up front. You need permission from your local dump, which is often owned by your local government, which often is not going to touch anything like this with a pole. Sometimes they're like, well, it's probably going to happen in five years anyhow, so we can't issue you credits for it. Because right? it would have happened anyhow. So we just say, well, probably not in Albania. I just talked to someone from Albania about this. And then you say, okay, so if I put up this tent, the amount of methane I capture is actually probably somewhat predictable. It's, it's, and so the amount of carbon I convert this to is somewhat predictable. The cost of the tent is somewhat predictable. And the time horizon I get these credits is probably predictable. At least the lifetime of the tent is predictable. So why don't you have a perfect DCF model from any node on Wall Street right here? Like the tent cost, the cost of permissions, the cost of getting the registrations, the cost of... Uh, 
broking and putting it all together, blah, blah, blah. And now the value that I sell these credits for, ask me, right? I'll give you a number and it'll probably be accurate within 10, 20%. And there you have it. That should be a product. And you can say, why is that not happening everywhere? Mm. And the answer to me is either through regulation or government funding or even just private markets, it should. It just should. I don't think we methane is actually far more damaging than carbon mm -hmm. in many ways. It evaporates faster in the atmosphere. So. Yeah. Anyway. I don't but, think we have a, like a great framework for actually understanding the value of these offsets yet. And I think part of this is like market building, which is like, yeah. What is an exactly offset? Right. Like right now, like we've spent half an hour trying to figure that out a little bit. And I guess it's not my back garden yet, <laughs> yet, but, yeah. no, but it, you no, know, I think you got to keep it stupidly. Yeah. Like I, this is why I say, despite it not being, that's why I never get too technical because you lose things, but think of it as you suck a ton of carbon out of the air. It's that simple. Yep. Right? And like, and, and when you drive your car, you put a ton of carbon in the air. Yeah. That you wouldn't otherwise. And obviously it's never just a ton and it doesn't convert, blah, blah, blah. But that's a, a way to think about it. So when you do that with your car, you should go and soak a ton of carbon out of the air and that costs some money. Yep. And all sorts of indirect ways that can happen in many parts of the world. And awesome. I don't know. And hopefully, and that's what I'm saying, which is why I started like indirectly, you could, that's a good. Yeah. That's a, that's a good that you can buy from some of the poorest countries in the world, which is not bad. I think that's, a, that is a fantastic place to leave it on, yeah. uh, on this. Like, I, cause I, I think I have really gone on a journey here about carbon offsets where I think I've gone from not in the course of this interview, but I've gone from, wow, what a performative waste of time and money. And then I'm like, wow, Lars is getting mixed up in this. Ah, that poor guy having a better sense of having spent the last couple of years of your life. Thank you so much for coming up with Lars. That's amazing. Pleasure, guys. I'm sorry, going to be a little late. You're great. Really nice. Really enjoyed it. All right. It. Uh, Thanks, Lars. Just said it five to Thanks. you. Cheers. So your dreams of being a carbon offset millionaire may not come to pass. Well, for the benefit of our listeners, I'll never give up. I just won't give up because you know what I think? Would I plant sequoias in my backyard for carbon offset money? I would. Would I do it otherwise? Maybe not. So now what I'm iterating and pivoting around is the tree type. I get it. That's, Certain yeah. trees are going to last longer and get bigger and suck more carbon. And so I'll <laughs> plant those for free. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You sort of, so you sort of, if you also, if you demonstrate a track record of sequestering carbon, you can use yeah. that to raise carbon fund three or carbon fund two. I think we're really onto something here, Slug. I think that's what I've learned from that interview. I mean, I'm also like, wondering, was he in a sauna? Was he in a what? A sauna. A, a, like actually in a sauna? I was like, it was like wood paneled walls. And he's like, you know, <laughs> a, a, a lovely Dane calling from a wood paneled room. And I'm like, are you getting that little heat in there? Typing the Nordic countries because if they're. I loved him though and what he's working <laughs> on. And, and I was yeah. going to mention, by the way, like what a good use of hedge fund talents to go embarrass companies for their carbon offsetting baloney. You couldn't fit like all these guys are short sellers. They're out there trying to call bullshit on companies all the time. Go call bullshit on their offsetting. What a lovely project. What, yeah, exactly. It's just full of good vibes the whole way down. Like I long may continue that way once people figure out about it but and we should uh, add his website which he's still building and we all know how hard they are to build yeah exactly unless you're you and you have access to the stanford mm, like i mean mm. like that you're right next to where the internet comes from you get better Free money money. podcast has a new website slow oh that's true who built yeah, that that's good job very nice hard website Everybody's building websites right now. And yeah, there's, I, I think that the main thing to be excited about with the free money podcast is finally we have faceted search, which means that let's say that you love the podcast, but hate the guests. I get it. Whatever. Great. Or you so, only love the guests, but hate the hosts. Yeah, exactly. There's not a way to filter us out entirely oh, yet. Uh, <laughs> All right. Sorry. But there is a way to go and filter like just the Sloan and Ashby episodes or oh. we have like women on the show or just the ones where we have, you know, people of color or queer people or we're talking about ESG. So that's freemoneypodcast.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter, which I'll get around to sending someday. It'll happen. Um, and uh, and you can leave us reviews on the on, on your podcast store of choice. I, I think that would be wise as well. Please do. You know, 
Yeah. Tens of people have given us five stars. Yeah. It's actually, it's weird to exist in a world where people listen to this podcast. I agree with that. I get occasional text messages and I'm like, oh my God, you listened to that? And you're a real, you're a real person. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we were like, hey, what if we, what if we ran a wire from your house to my house and we put little tin cans in it? Yeah, exactly. Did our own radio show. (laughs) I know. We were playing pretend until I think this season, and now we realize people might actually be listening. And some of them, like, gosh, some of them are nice too. I know. Um, but so, as everyone who's been listening to the show forever knows, we do listener questions on every episode. We do. Um, what do we? Yeah. With a very special horn. Oh. Yeah. That was it, but that was it. That was it. That got me, like, you know, the Dolby surround sound there the second time. Yeah, the secret preview us only audio this first question is about the blockchain which gosh who would have known that the blockchain would have come up in this episode Mm. um i've heard you say a lot of positive things about blockchain technologies about crypto and even about nfts but nearly every other person i've heard says that these pose a serious environmental risk because of the incredible amount of energy they consume not to mention the resources that go into building them Mm -hmm. is there something we've all missed about the environmental possibilities I'm also concerned about how this, their untraceable, unseizable nature allows them to make tax evasion and organized crime much more profitable and difficult. To hmm. I love how this questioner says nearly every other person other than you, Ashby, yeah, exactly. <laughs> says these things suck. So <laughs> I'm not going to go too far out on my own limb, which is a, I'm out on a loan, apparently. I think blockchain is like a transparency machine, which is really exciting. Yeah. And this ability to like govern things with something that is reliably predictable is pretty cool. And, and so I, from that perspective, I think the world of finance thrives on opacity, non-transparency, unpredictability, demand pricing it feels like it was invented in the world of finance. Everybody's paying something else depending on the leverage you have. Blockchain yeah. changes that and makes yeah. the price visible. Now, I, I do think like the whole crypto token space to the, today, to me, feels like a complete expensive in terms of dollars and energy entertainment. It, it's being developed by people for themselves, if I'm yep. honest. It, it's, yep. If you think about the random monkey generator I mentioned earlier, like that's a real thing. And those monkeys that are literally just like randomly being cobbled together with a beard, a hat, baked eyeballs. They're 2000 4000 8000 bucks each. Yep. That's very hard for me to understand, even though I think there must be really positive use cases down the road. For, 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 the, for these mo- monkeys? No, not the monkeys, but the technology that maybe is, okay, that's a way of automating things and like self-governing and all this. Go experiment with it. But, but yeah. I agree that the cost of Bitcoin, I still don't. I'm not like Jack from Square. Like, I just don't understand. I don't think Bitcoin is going to change the world. I think blockchain will change financial services. Yeah. So anyway, look, I I, I hate how much energy gets consumed by this stuff. I, I think, yeah, it's really almost, there's this thing about Wall Street where they will just sometimes get in a circle and start throwing crap at each other. And then if they do that for long enough, it becomes a legitimate lit market. And then once they do that for long enough, like all sorts of other weird stuff that people didn't necessarily expect becomes possible. And then weirdly, it becomes possible to do something as ambitious as try to kill God with fixed the martial resources. The, there's definitely an element of, I, I feel like I am trying to treat the, the blockchain as an alien intelligence that I don't understand the motives or purpose or, or anything of. Um, I like that. Not the part where you said we're going to kill God. I think that's, that's probably, (laughs) that came out of nowhere, I feel like. But anyway, aside from that comment, the part about this is an alien environment really resonates with me because it's, I do think of this as a little bit like terraforming. So look, once we start terraforming Mars, like it's going to be pretty hard to live there for a long time. And it's not going to be exactly obvious what living there is going to be like, but that's part of this process of getting the financial services industry ready for true transparency yeah honestly this industry generates its profits from minimizing the amount you can know about what they're doing that's oh no this trade that we're doing was super hard and we're going to charge you four million dollars 
turns out it was like two emails and a phone call and it was done. They don't want yeah. you to know that. Yeah. But, well, and it, it's also like the only window a lot of people have into thinking about what money even is and how yeah. to relate to it, which is, I, I mean, we could talk for hours about what is the blockchain and why is it, but it's a database. Um, it's basically like a database. Pretty sure. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a, a weird an alien uh, environment. Yeah, you heard exactly. it first. And I'm inter- it's going to kill God. That's our new teacher. And I'm, yeah, and I'm interested <laughs> people figure out a way to work with the alien. So this one is obviously by some kind of super fan of yours. Can I pay more money for your book? <laughs> Charge. I feel like you're undercharging for these books that you write. And then in all caps, they wrote big time. Uh, oh, oh, that I'm guessing that was a family member. Put that one in there. Appreciate it. Appreciate that you feel like you're not paying enough for my books. And I understand that perception. Yeah. Okay. So you charge your family members for your books? <laughs> <laughs> for them, the cost is in me disappearing to write them, I think. If you think about it, you read one of my, if you're a pension CIO and you read one of our books, we could, we could change your investment strategy and that could deliver billions of dollars of value. So I can understand yeah. why people would be like, how do I pay more? But that's just what we're doing in the world. We're not going to charge you more. We're free money. Yeah. We want you to have money. Yeah. I mean, People to, yeah, exactly. You're not trying to like capture every no, of what you, you know, yeah. I mean, you want to pay more? Too bad, it's free. I love that. Energy. I mean, you can also send checks if you go to long term investing.stanford.edu. address, yeah, you can send, please you know, send me money for research, yeah, exactly. So, last question, okay, like a lot of Ashby. Whoa, yeah. Criticism here? I, I'm, I'm sensing some antagonism here. Uh, and so this one is, it just goes, and does Ashby have so many jobs because he can't keep one? <laughs> it does appear that I have <laughs> a lot of jobs. And I will acknowledge that when you have many jobs, it's almost like you have no jobs because one person fires, you just keep going. And that is, it's more if you have 12 bosses, you have no bosses. That's the way yeah. it feels like. Right? That's the, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, yeah. if you have 12 jobs, it feels like you have 15 jobs. It's a lot of work. <laughs> but I will say, it's not that I have so many jobs, but that I have one calling slot. I have uh, a calling. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. How much grown activity just occurred on the other end of this microphone? I um, have never grown at any, <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> so the calling, here's my calling. It is to change or improve investment decision-making with technology. And so I admit that if you are using technology to change how investors make decisions, I am highly likely to say yes to helping. And that is my, that's my problem. People show up, they've got a cool new technology. They want to help this community of long-term investors improve their decision-making, which helps them and the world, by the way. Yep. Yeah, like I'm all in. I want to help yeah. you. And it may be that like that help is a couple hours a month. And maybe that help is a fucking building a website. But that is, that's why it looks like I have so many jobs. I'm a sucker for anything that fits into that, that little niche. Wait, and like, there's so much like creating the way out of the way we've been doing stuff that needs to be done here right? yeah. in order to, we were talking earlier in this pod about how we can't even figure out a way to say that a fund is sustainable or not. Like, I mean, problem. literally we are now working from home. We're not, yep. I'm not on air, but I haven't been out of the country in two years, which like is pretty wild when you think about the path I had the prior decade. And frankly, like you can do a lot from just sitting at this desk. I feel like I should get carbon offsets for sitting at this desk instead of going to Australia four times a year. They should be paying me. I don't know who they is. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. What we can do is get, we'll send an invoice to the Australian Superfund complex, itemize it by their assets under management. Airplanes take off. There's like a fee that's assessed for the facilities or whatever. So if there's a, a fee for yeah. not having you in the country while they're managing money. Yes. There should be some <laughs> sort of a compensation here. So, <laughs> like uh, a protection racket. Like the smart people get, out there are like, you should have been paying for offsets when you were going, not get paid offsets for not going. That's what I Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but still logical. But that's, Ashby, that's why you're a next level financial thinker, yes. right? Like you're like, you're like. You th- the steady the- state. We, it's, everything is measured against the benchmark, right? This yeah. is what we do in finance. So the benchmark and, and is got to ask, how, how do I do less and get paid more, yeah. right? Like that's the question. <laughs> that's that's the free question. Money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The like, key to getting free money is to be really busy and then stop. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. 
I've got, to, I've got to get going here in a second. But Garden. Say at this point, I think Garden. My gardening tip. I promised at the top. In March, you should start planting your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts, and your chili peppers. If you like those things, that's this is the time. March. Mm. If you like your, I do the cauliflower and the chili peppers. Not so much. They're very the, attractive. They're very attractive. I've, no, I've noticed the trend actually of them being planted in New York City, like public planters. Oh, uh, like cauliflower and cabbage planted in them. Right? That's fun. It's quite, it's very, yeah, it's fantastic. Cauliflower is a super delicious treat when you like do it up, like if it were meat, but it's not meat with a sauce yep. and nummy stuff. Yeah, just you just get skipped. Like, it has a real personality despite being having the worst brand of all of the vegetables. It does. Yeah, it's terrible in terms of branding, but delicious in terms of numminess. I have no gardening tip this week because I am bad, but I will make it up to you next How about week. <laughs> water your plants? That's why. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> in a, yeah, if you're gonna have plants, water like keep them watered. Yep. Um, bye. All right. On that note, bye. Love you.